Our Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for the many blessings that you so graciously and bountifully give us day after day. We pause in the sacredness of this moment simply to say that, thank you. And even though those words seem so inadequate, thank you for the provision of your Holy Spirit who is able to communicate and convey to you the real depths of our sentiment in language that we do not even have. And for this opportunity we have this morning again to look into your word as always, Master, we simply ask that you would speak and give us ears to hear and obedient hearts to obey. These things we ask with grateful hearts in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to remind you today, and I say remind you intentionally, because you would have heard this many times before. I am of the opinion that most of you here, if I ask, and if you would respond, and to the question as to whether or not you are a believer, I believe the majority of you will indicate that you are a believer in the person of Jesus Christ. And if I ask the question in another way, whether or not you are a Christian, you would simply say, yes, you are. And I'm delighted to hear that. I want to draw your attention to that Italian book called Romans, chapter 3. The 27 through the 31st verse. But to give you a background or a contextual overview of the book of Romans, let me tell you in terms of my opinion, I believe that the book of Romans is the Magna Carta, if you please, of God's righteousness. It is the constitution, if you please, the constitutional charter of God's righteousness. Paul said, and he begins as he developed this theme throughout the book of Romans. He starts off in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he starts off by simply saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first, and also to the Greek or Gentiles. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. I think that the book of Romans is an incredibly compelling explanation of God's imputation of righteousness to believing sinners by describing justification. Justify, just the word justify is mentioned 14 times in the book of Romans and eight times in its sister epistle, Galatians, and 14 times throughout the rest of the New Testament. So the book of Romans 
if you put all of that together, is approximately 38.8% of all of its mention is mentioned in the book of Romans. But what is justification? This is a legal act in which God the judge declares the believing sinner righteous. Just think about that for a moment. God, the righteous judge, declaring the believing sinner righteous. That's amazing. Those of you who are seated here today as Christians, God has declared that you are righteous, that you have been justified. Romans 5 once explains, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the word justify, for example, in Greek, has two connotations, a negative and a positive. The negative connotation is this, that you're Sins are being taken away. That's a negative connotation. The positive connotation is this, that now that your sins have been taken away, the positive is your righteousness of God has been applied, imputed to you. That's amazing again. That's yours. This is amazing. I want to share with you then, and focus your attention on this, as we look at the overview of this book, but then just to, so that you can have an adequate concept of the background. When you look at the entire book, between the first three chapters, you would see that righteousness, Paul sets the basis that it is required. Between the chapters four through six, it is also provided there, and between seven and eight, it is imparted. Between nine and 11, it is proved, and the last chapters, 12 through 16, it is practice. The immediate backdrop of what I want to share with you this morning is in chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, where we see the righteousness of God is devised, prepared, approved, and conferred on the believer. It is also attested to by the law and the prophets. It is secured by Christ through the grace of his redemption and propitiation. The righteousness of God is designed for all, since all need it and all are creatures of God. It is received by faith without any merit or work of our own and it does not make void, but establishes the law. And mind you, having said that, there are those, imagine this if you please, there are those who say, I guess with their mouth and also by their behavior or practice, that now that they have been justified before a holy God, they should take every opportunity to boast about it. Use your own personal record of how well you have kept the law and your own related good works to support and enhance your boasting. 
they say, faith in Jesus Christ is important in attaining your spiritual status of being justified before this holy God. But one must also put some personal work of the Lord into it. Besides, God is only the God of the Jews. Really? By the way, how many Jews are seated in the audience? Any Gentile? You don't know who you are? Okay. If God is only the God of the Jews, that conveys some serious implications. Let's look at 27, verse 27 of Romans chapter 3. Then, what becomes of boasting? Now remember, you have already been justified in the previous chapter. As Paul builds this incredible uh, um, presentation about the righteousness of God. What is it, is the question, then what becomes of boasting? Why are you going, what do you have to boast about? One would naturally think that a sinner would be delighted that he or she has been forgiven, redeemed, justified, and considered righteous by God at no cost to him or her. Unfortunately, that is not the case. There is this invidious element called pride that wants to claim some role in the attainment of justification. Boastfulness has a national characteristics of the Jews, a peculiar species, for it took the form of religious conceit. The Jews may not have been able to boast of being rich or strong, but when their fortunes and their strengths were at their lowest, they had one sure source of national pride in which to assert their self-importance. It was this, that they were God's chosen people, and therefore they could look down upon their conquerors as outcasts, alienated from God. Now this vicious inclination to boast is not exclusively a Jewish trait. I believe you can find some Bahamians too who like to boast. Maybe somebody in your pew like to boast. Maybe the person you looked at in the mirror this morning like to boast. But maybe I'll have to prove that. Stay tuned. You Gentiles are equally prone to boast. Boasting is said to be the child of human pride. Now pride is sometimes a strange word because it has two possible views. It could be considered positive, it can be also negative. But boasting in this negative sense is considered to be the child of human pride and so every one of you here this morning is a parent of boasting. At some point or another in your life you have boasted about something in one form or another. Now let me hasten to remind you that pride 
and this form smells bad to God. It's obnoxious to God. As a sin, his holiness hates it as treason. This is the most serious crime you can commit against a state or an empire. His sovereignty detests it, and the whole of his attributes stands league or in alliance to put it down at every instance when it raises his head. Pride. The first transgression had in its essence pride. Do you remember Satan himself? What is it that he wanted? To be like God? Where did that come from? Pride. Do you remember Eve? Again, Satan's influence. He suggested to her that if you eat this, you will be like God. Pride. And you can think of all of those Patriots and persons in the Old Testament as we move through to the New Testament and as we move through to 2014, as we move through to the 16th of November 2014 to this very hour. Those persons who would have caused great harm to themselves and to others because of pride. And so this first transgression had its essence in pride, their birth certificate may read not pride because it may be disguised. It may be read as having affluence. Maybe it's social clout. Maybe it's your physical attraction. Maybe your intellectual acumen. Maybe it's your family heritage. Maybe it's from which hill you came from. Maybe it's from your capacity or your faithfulness to prayer. Do you brag about, I pray more than you? Is it about your visitation? I am more concerned about the other members of the incredible body of Christ than others. I always pray for the sick, visit the sick. Maybe I feed the needy and I involve in more ministry than you. Maybe it's I attend more worship services than you. This self-justifying boastfulness feeds on every possible circumstance to make oneself a sinner appear better than another a sinner. I fear that some of you might gradually harbor a self-righteous confidence in your position or your character, which would substantially mean that you are no different than the Jew who boasts of being circumcised and keeping the ceremonial or moral law of God as a meritorious grounds for being justified. Think, my brothers and sisters, what is it that you brought to the table when you stand before God? What is it that you brought that merits your justification? I suggest to you that Paul here is telling you that you bought nothing. It is totally by God's grace and your faith alone in Christ alone. Brother Bradshaw, who was on the drums, when I think about these people who bring or suggest that they have these different things, whether it's their intellect, their social capacity, their financial capacity, their involvement in ministry, 
all of these various things. I am inclined to think of a former musician in the Bahamas who said that I'm the song, I'm a better woman than you. Tell a gal, tell me that again. I'm a better woman than you. Sometimes we uh, say it another way, I'm a better Christian than you. When it comes to you being justified before God, none of these things really matter. Paul says it is excluded. It is excluded. We have nothing in which we can trust for our acceptance with God, no merit of our own. We have nothing accruing to us from our circumstances or our circumcision or any covenant with God. The door of grace of justification is shut against everything of this kind. And at the same time, and at the same time, the hope, the gate or the door of hope is open to those who might be here, even in this setting this morning. This is the first time you've ever been in a church. The door is open to you as well. Because you, or you may have been misled to believe that you have to get your life together first before you can come to place faith in Jesus Christ. That is indeed, indeed a deception. He says, come as you are. And in that sense, those who have been coming to church before they were born, as opposed to those who have been in church in this building for the first time, or a building similar, that we call church, you are all on equal footing. When it comes to God, the best could bring nothing. And the worst could bring no less. So if it is excluded, you say, by what kind of law, on what grounds are you excluding my right to boast about justification? By what kind of law, by what kind of rule or doctrine or reason is it shut, is it shut out? The answer is the rule or law of obedience which God gave to us and by which obedience we are accepted by him. By a law of works? Do you have to work for it? Nope. Mm-mm. Nay. The law of works grants no pardon. When I thought about that, I thought about a rat trap. Um, anybody ever said, not the modern thing, the little pace that you put, because they said they don't like the pace because somebody said, I don't like to see them moving. <laughs> Gross. You know. But, but the, the trap, you put some bait on it and then you set it and you disappear. Oh, I see why you're looking at me like that. You trying to pretend there was no rat in your house. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me put it this way. Think of somebody else's house. <laughs> but have you ever set a trap in that other person's house? <laughs> um, where, where, you know, and I'm talking about the trap. And do you think when you, if you set it right now, some people set it poorly, which means the rat is go there, take the cheese off, and walk away, eat it, come back, rub their tummy, and wait till you put another one there. But for those who set it just right, that's like the law, you know, if, if you, if as soon as they touch that trigger, the law of the trap comes down. And if you're still awake, you know, you say, I got one. Yeah. You run back over there. Yeah, there he is, you know. 
not moving. That's law. Law, the trap does not say, well, this is a little small one. You know, or look at him, so cute. <laughs> no. or, or simply said, this, he must have been very hungry, he hadn't had something to eat. The trap does not, doesn't have that capacity. That's law. It says, okay, the law says you must obey me completely, fully. If you trigger this, there's one, you break one, if you cross over and you touch this lever, this trigger, this door coming down hard on you. It requires complete obedience, the law, and threatens to the disobedient with death. No exception. So all glorying in the expectation of your salvation through your own obedience is excluded by the law. In other words, from the law's perspective, you fail. You are found guilty and therefore deserving of death. That's why I'm so glad there is grace. But the law of faith, not the law of works exists. There's this law called faith. By the way, what is this faith? Hebrews 1 that you have memorized and know so well that says now faith is the substance of things, so for the evidence of things not seen, the substance, the setting under, the support, the concrete essence, the abstractly, we talk about the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof or the conviction of things not seen. Faith is aptly described as the hand of the mind. The hand of the mind. It is humble, Depending, self-denouncing grace. It is humble grace. Depending grace. Self-denouncing is not about me. Grace. It is leaning your whole weight on the sufficiency of the triune God. Imagine again, if you please, if you come before this holy God with all of your Guilt, because just in case no one told you recently, you are a sinner. You're bad. Very bad. <laughs> bad like me. <laughs> and yet there is God's grace. But you come before God. As a matter of fact, when you come before God, what are you coming with? What are, by the way, what are you standing on? God's ground? Get your own ground. You know, you don't have nothing to stand on. It is by faith and faith alone in the mercy or clemency of God through the propitiation made by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.25 says in part that who God, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. It is that which you can be justified, pardoned, and taken into the divine favor. Faith itself is a gift. Do you know there are people who brag about their faith? Again, I have more faith than you. My faith bigger than yours. And they use it to boast as if, well, so what did you do to get it as big as that? I've been in the gym. You know, it's amazing. Faith itself is a gift apprehend it, and then appropriate. Hold on to it. Use it. 
not to bring attention to you, that say that it's all about you, or I had to help God out. I had to put in my little piece. I add something to the recipe. It's nothing about you, and it's all about God. And at the risk of being overly simplistic, imagine opening your eyes and seeing the beautiful sunset on the western horizon. Having just had that experience, what aspect of the experience would you attribute to yourself and therefore have grounds for boasting? If you see that, shouldn't you stand up and brag about it, that I have seen a beautiful sunset? Most of the time, if you say that in public, people will think you need help, you know. Because they say, what did you have to do with bringing the sunset over there? What did you do? Even your eyes, you know, you ain't give yourself your eye. <laughs> you know, even your eye is a gift that God has given you so that you can see the beauty of nature. So what you get, nothing, you know, to brag about. Here, let me take another one. What about a beggar? This is almost analogous to a beggar receiving alms from a passerby. What aspect of his receiving alms could he boast about? He's on it wherever the beggar is, and some person stopped, gave the beggar something. Should the beggar at that point brag about him? Take that. It's all about me. He had to give it to me, you know. I am a professional beggar, you know. He just couldn't resist, you know, give it to me. Or, or, or was it because of the way he looked? He seemed so innocent. Yeah, he looked like he's in dire need. And you say, my heart went out and never came back. I mean, it went out to him, you know. And you gave something. And so the beggar says, I have that capacity to take people's heart from them. Yes, the heart comes out to me. Really? And that's what the beggar is begging. Did I tell you, was it Friday? There was a lot of traffic. Uh, I was heading down to work, and um, with, us, with uh, um, B's daughter was in the car. You know, and, and as, we, as we were driving, we were coming by our working key. And, you know, some people didn't want to stay on the main road, so they normally take this other shortcut to come around, to come out, and then, you know, to, to cut some of the traffic. And there was this lady in this S white SUV. As a matter of fact, I've never seen it before. They had made extra lean, double, triple leans to try to get on to West Bay. And, and we were there, of course, very patient, waiting my turn, and people, of course, filtering in. You know, and so it's, people have some strange behavior. Have you noticed when they want to get into traffic? Some people will look at you with them little puppy dog eyes. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, you know, like, please, let me get out. You know, um, so, you know, so when I saw that, I put on my darkers <laughs> <laughs> so they can't see my eyes. And, um, you know, uh, and so as I was spiritually driving down and waiting in traffic, you know, and there was this lady who was in the wrong lane, so she made a double lane. You know, but she's looking at her. I, I said to my uh, the, the passenger in the car, uh, I, said, I said, look at her head moving. She has about some private music because she was popping the head. Yeah. yeah. I said, she, she's listening. I can't hear her because her glasses up. You know, and then just as we, I got whatever, the, there was a truck, I think, in front of me. And uh, the, just as the truck passed, and then she eased a little bit, you know, the people, they were, 
bully. That's what he intimidate comes to the edge, to the edge. And, and then she, the whole glass went down. Now my car glass can't go down because I have a summer vehicle. So, <clears throat> so, the, so she put down her right glass, you know, came down. I said, ooh, ooh something's going to happen. Then she looked. I, I have my darkness, I tell you. You know, she looked, you know, and, and she spoke. She actually spoke. She said, I want to get on the other side. Now, and the way she pointed, it meant that she was not going where we were going in traffic. She wanted to come out to go in the opposite direction. And of course, now I said, okay, she's not trying to cut in front. She legitimately wants to go in this. Now, and then I thought, why would she come on this way around to come back to go back that way? They think I was born on, I was born on Andrews. Okay. <laughs> You know, so, so, but so I said, I will let her out, you know, and, and I paused, you know, and she smiled, you know, and she came up. And she, and by the way, did I forget to tell you, she was signaling to go right. I saw the little orange light blink, blink, she's going right. When she got out and she was like a bumper or front, I guess, what do you call that, the door was opposite me. Then her signal switched. <laughs> and she came out going around, up, down, and I was still queuing up. And I said to my partner, you see that? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. People are so deceptive. And she got dressed. She looked so nice. She got dressed that morning, dressed it up, and tried to deceive me from Andrus. That's so wrong. <laughs> you know, but people will do strange things if they want something. They feel now that she got work, I got him. Because they won't let me out, even though she was in the wrong. People like to brag. I wonder what she said when she got it. No, she probably kept that a secret. But just like how she used that as some story to tell somebody how they, she can get into traffic, that's why I tell her, you know, what she did today. <laughs> Teach him, but says this way, that God, all of these things that we have, is a gift from God. He says that it is not enough for God to present just the object. He must also awaken the eye or perception for, in other words, not just presented, but he gives us the capacity to see it and to appreciate it. So when we think about it, we really bring nothing to the table. It's really all about God. So whatever it is that you have, but when we think specifically about this justification, that you are considered just in his eyes, you can't stand before God to brag. So please don't stand in front of your neighbor, your brother, your colleague, and say as if you've done all that. You really haven't done anything. It was all by faith alone. In verse 28, it says, For we behold that one, one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, seeing that these things cannot be denied. All have sinned. You remember that? Romans 3.23. All have sinned, are guilty, helpless. We deliver his, and cannot deliver his own soul, and that God in his endless clemency or mercy has opened a new and living way to the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we conclude, or we proved, to be fair, a rational consequence would be that man, any man, is justified. When I say justified again, I simply mean that his sins have been blotted out and is re receives into a personal relationship with God the Father by faith in Jesus Christ without any deeds or works of the law. You are, Remember, you can't even keep the law. And if you think so, think about that rat trap. Have you ever broken any of God's law? And if that was your, let me say it this way. There was only two ways God thought of that you can save mankind, you and me. Two ways. One, 
you keep the perfect law, all of it. That was one. And I think if you check your record, we ain't like that one because we messed that one up. Fail. The second one is by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone. Don't mix up the law and bring a little bit of law and say, Lord, I, I only miss one Sunday. And you know I'm very faithful to you. God says, all right. Yeah. No, that's like the rat trap saying, look, the rat trap, don't, that lever don't come down halfway and say, wait a minute, I changed my mind. You look, I can give you another dime. This is going to revert. You, you, that don't work. You know, that's law. So don't mix it. There's no mixing of the law and grace for your justification. It's all faith. So please, don't be caught in that kind of a trap. I like what D.L. Moody says. That he says the best definition outside of the Bible um, for, for this faith or this, uh, yeah, this, this faith is dependence on the veracity of another. Depending on the veracity or truthfulness of another. In other words, faith says amen to everything that God says. Doesn't that sound good? Every time God says something, and by the way, amen means what? I hear what you say, but I agree with you. Yeah. No, I hope you said I agree with the statement. Amen? So be it. Meaning I agree with it? Because some people say, oh, so be it, and they agree with you. No. That's like saying, so be it. Go on. I, that's what you say. But if God says something, when you say amen, because you know there are people who say amen, and particularly in settings like this, and then you know what's going on. Right? But they'll say amen. Because it's thing, you just say amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What's the next one? Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but, but they ain't listening to the thing. Because every, and I told you about Mr. Gator, who's to say that in church. He's, he's, anytime you pause, he say, say amen. And you don't have to say nothing. You know? Because you know, I know, because the man who was talking, uh, just this was Sunday, and we just killed a, ho- I mean, a, a pig on Saturday. And I don't know why he bring it up. But he was saying, and when he talked about it, that uh, Mr. Martin killed the, the, the pig, and he says, and the, t- and the, the pig tail, and Kenneth says, amen. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, what's, what's the connection, pig tail and amen? Even he's make a sentence. So please listen to what people are saying. Okay. When God speaks, faith means you say you agree with everything God says. That's amen. That's not saying after God says something, you say, but... Or if there's no buts or if, if God says it, it's amen. If God says it, faith says, I believe it. Faith says amen to it. It is the act of believing a statement and relying on the truthfulness of the one who made it. God says in John 3, 16, whosoever, you should say amen. Because in that whosoever, you and I got caught up in that. You say, but, but, but I'm so bad. Yeah, but God said whosoever, amen. I believe what God says. God says that you all have fallen short and sin, right? All of sin and come short. He said, that includes me. Amen. I didn't ask you how you feel, you know, or you comparing yourself with somebody else. I ain't like him, so why are you come picking on me? All have sinned, amen, and fallen short of the glory of God. So if God says it, that's it. Giving God the honor of being the source of truth. Truth, trust in God's promise is what constitutes faith and what results is justification. The promises of God from time to time might vary depending on what it is he's offering. These promises constitute the content of faith. 
The object of faith does not vary, however. It is always the person of God for us. For, God, for us, God's promise is that Jesus Christ died as a substitute and satisfied all of God's demands against sinners. But please note this, that even Abraham, it says that Abraham's faith to him was counted as righteousness. Faith itself, itself, is not necessarily righteousness. This is a wonderful thing that God has given to us. And I'm asking you as my brothers and sisters today, please think about what it is that we have. You have been justified. And the only time you can appreciate that is you think maybe caught locally. You know you're guilty. And then the judge says, you're not guilty. But you say, what? Say that again, please. Tell, girl, tell me that again. You can't call a judge no gal on the judge. But, but say that again. You know, not guilty. No record. Because see, that's the ultimate source of all authority. You and I are justified by faith alone. Don't be like others who think they brought something to the table. Don't tell other people that it is, yes, you need to place faith in Jesus Christ, but you need to bring some work. Some more is developed on that when we think about James had some things to say specifically about it. Now, because you are justified, you have a mandate how you're supposed to now conduct yourself or behave. But your salvation has nothing to do with what you brought to the table. You brought nothing. You stood before God, contaminated, polluted, dirty, defiled. You brought nothing to the table. I think and thought about this because it matters whether it matters or not. Think about it. Two men, both have cancer. Then I'm going to shut up. Two men, both have cancer. A physician comes in. One of the men who have cancer is extremely wealthy. The other person is extremely poor. The physician has the capacity, the medication, the know-how to apply, administer the particular medical intervention that will cure both. At that point, do you think it is relevant to talk about what the men have in the bank? or the kind of clothes that they're wearing? Could the man who's maybe wealthy talk about his possession and says, I have all of this, but you also have cancer? The person who's poor says, I ain't got nothing except cancer. The physician there is the person who can save both. Your wealth has no relevance here. When you and I stand or stood in the past as Christians before God. We couldn't bring anything to the table. All of what we were or are, only thing that matters was that you are a sinner. You didn't keep the law. You have failed to keep the law. You deserve death. But in the mercy or the clemency of God, by faith, he says, trust me. In other words, when he says that you are a sinner, you're supposed to say, I agree. That's like saying, that's like saying, amen. And then there is a reward. What it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. It's a gift of God. You know, that's why Paul could say back at the beginning of Romans, I ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. So if you want to brag, 
brag about God and what he's done. Not about you. You and I did nothing. And I, all I wanted to do was encourage you. And when you hear, if not you, someone else who have an inclination to brag, and you see it's pointing to themselves, maybe just gently, meekly, humbly nudge them. It's not about you. It's all about God. And we have so much to be grateful for. Let us pray. Our Father, you've done so much for us. We don't have nothing that is of meritorious value that we can bring before you. We simply come with the gift that you've given, the gift, the lure of faith. Thank you. Thank you for bestowing on us such a wonderful, wonderful status of being justified by faith, the gift that you have given to us, so that we can always be in right standing with you. And it is a gift that is not to be taken away. It is irrevocable. Thank you for this amazing gift. Now, Lord, encourage us, and as you give us opportunity and days, weeks, months of our lives, may we always be cognizant of this fact that it's all about you. It is by grace alone and faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified before a holy, righteous God. These things, Father, we ask with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.